Welcome campers. I'm your camp counselor, Alicia, and for the next three weeks, you will be joining me and my co-counselors, Ashley and Jeremy, as we take you on a trip into the great outdoors. Being outside is full of wonder, excitement, endless possibilities, new experiences, and new friends. But sometimes, sometimes things just aren't always as wonderful and carefree as they may seem. While you're out roasting marshmallows for s'mores, someone may be lurking right on the tree line. While you're snuggled in your sleeping bag as the crickets lull you to sleep, maybe someone is patiently waiting to hear your breathing slow, signaling that you're asleep and vulnerable. That rustling of leaves, maybe it wasn't just the wind. That brushing up against your tent, maybe it wasn't just the person next to you moving in their sleep. The sound of twigs snapping, maybe it wasn't just an animal. Maybe, just maybe, the great outdoors aren't so great after all. Hello, fellow Murd Nerds. If you're a new camper with us today, let me fill you in real quick. Murd Nerds is a true crime podcast covering the stories of the missing, the unsolved, and strange within our home state of Indiana. Or are we? What? You've asked for it, and we've finally done it. We've made the decision here at Murd Nerds to broaden our horizons a little bit and start going outside of our home state and start seeing what else is out there concerning true crime and our big, bold world. We're pretty excited to take this step, and we hope you are, too. But I back am. You are? <laughs> yeah, I am very excited. <laughs> but back to Camp Murderers. We've decided to do this summer camp-themed special as just a little kickoff into our new content. Right now, Ashley, Jeremy, and I, we're out camping. We figured it would be a fun way to just celebrate the change that we've headed into, and we wanted to bring you all along with us. Let's take a second so they can hear what's going on in the background. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> it's so nice. Of course, you know, when you say that, the birds quit chirping. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, if you guys hear anything weird, that's just the sounds. 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 <laughs> like that. Like that. Golf cart. golf cart. Sounds of the campground. Um, and also, before we get started, we just wanted to give a shout out to our longtime fan, Laura. We got to formally meet her today, and she was absolutely amazing. She made my entire day. Yes, she was so nice. Hi, Laura. Hi, Laura. So thank you, and this episode's for you. You guys are welcome for for me to introduce you to a super fan. (laughs) It's all thanks to Jeremy. So, Ashley, how you been? I have been so busy, but honestly, and I've said this before, like life is just so good right now. It really is. I cannot complain about anything. Feel that. Mm-hmm. Feel that, Jeremy. I've doing? been good. I've been good. Um, I do want to bring up something very important. Okay. Yeah. Ready? Mm-hmm. This is episode twenty-six. Yeah. That means that I have now officially been with you guys for twenty episodes. <gasps> Aww. Jeremy. So yeah, it's just even more special to be out here at the campground, hanging out, doing a outdoor nature. Watch out for birds pooping on your head. <laughs> yeah, we've got coverage. Jeremy's, uh, he's a target. I wore my stay out of the forest shirt. Yes. <laughs> for this particular reason. Mm-hmm. That yes, we couldn't have done this without you. For uh, real. I'm happy to be here. And it's this is a- my type of recording right here. This I wish we could do this all the time. Yeah, it's nice. It's fun, but 
there's wires and cables everywhere. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's, it's a little messy. <laughs> so I've got some silly housekeeping. <laughs> That I want. Silly housekeeping? Yeah. Uh, in episode 24, I said... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I said that my Google Home says... Oh, yes. I... <laughs> Sleep is a time machine to tomorrow. <laughs> but it's not what it says at all. That was such an awesome quote. Okay, what does it say? It's even better. Oh, it okay. says... Um, <laughs> I feel so dumb because I literally hear this every single night before I go to bed. But... Um, what oh, is yeah. that? It's Lord Murder. of the Flies out there. <laughs> it is. God. But she actually says, sleep is a time machine to breakfast. Oh, even better. There's yeah. food involved. Yeah. Which yeah. definitely makes more sense. Yeah, so. I meant that. Golf cart limo. <laughs> <laughs> Those things are so cool. Are I'd love they to have are, one. For real. Uh, so the first case I'm covering for our summer camp kickoff is from Locust Grove, Oklahoma, which is about 45 west of Tulsa. I don't think it's so much west. I think it's like northwest. But 45 minutes. Minutes. Got it. Northwest of Tulsa, Oklahoma. In case yeah, you were confused. Fuck Tulsa. <laughs> <laughs> so if any of you are knowledgeable about true crime, you probably know that about this particular episode, about this particular case. Um, especially recently, because it was brought back into the news because of an actress named Kristen Chenoweth. Do you know who that is? No, and I did not know that, well, because I know what case you're covering, but I did not know that it was back in the spotlight. Yeah. So, no, I Do you know who she is? Yes, Jerry? I know who she is. Yeah. Who is she? How do you know her? Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, don't throw me on the spot like that. <laughs> I always do. He said she I knew her. Do. Isn't it good enough? I just know her. Come on. I can't think of what the they what went show to, was. They went to high school together. Yeah. Like, fucking. Yeah. <laughs> we went to different high schools together. I know her because of. <laughs> I know her because of Wicked. Wicked. The, the Broadway the show. show. Oh, she's like, oh, okay. yeah, she's a singer and she okay. was Glenda. I believe. God, nobody throw me under the bus for that. I'm pretty sure she was Glenda. I'm going to have to look her up because I know that I know her from. Yeah, show me a picture. She was in a show. Yeah. Yeah. What's yeah, her name? You, What's her name again? Once you see Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah, Chenoweth. That sounds insanely familiar. Chenoweth. 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 Yeah. Once you see her, but go ahead and talk a little bit more yes, about yep. it. Yes. Yeah. Bring this picture up. So she uh, just helped film a documentary about this case because she almost was part of it. She was almost part of the murders. She was at the. She was camping there. You'll at the find time? out. Oh, okay. You'll find out. This is the unsolved case of the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. So fucking sad. Yeah, sad you break. know her. Oh yeah, I know who that is. Yeah. yeah, she she plays she's high heels little dog, um, southern accent mm-hmm. in something. That's what I see. Oh wow, let's see. She was in 1999's Annie. Um, yeah, the yep. boy next door, deck the halls. What that looks like is that Danny DeVito? I can't really tell. Yeah, um, Dan, isn't it um, Arnold? Uh, or no, Tim Arnold. Allen and Arnold Schwarzenegger. One uh, of them. I can't tell. I can't tell. The picture's <laughs> too small. I'm freaking. I even got my glasses on. I guess. <laughs> or on. Danny DeVito. Get it really, really close. Well, I don't know who was deck the halls. Come on, that looks like Danny DeVito. I was thinking it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. But it is because he's. Uh, it's the with uh, the superhero, the toy. Uh, uh, yeah, but that's not the right one. Isn't that Jingle All the Way? Yeah, oh, that is Jingle All the Way. You're right. Yeah. You're right. With Sinbad. Um, 
it looks like uh, uh, George uh, George Garcia's in it. You know, the guy from. I like Lost. how now we're talking about this movie. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. Uh, but yeah, that's who that is. Yeah, so I know she's, she is. She's, she's a huge star. She really, truly really oh, is. Oh, yeah. huge. Looks like she's done a ton of voiceover With work a and stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah, because she's got a very, like, unique voice. Right. Mm-hmm. So, trigger warning before we get into the story, because this is a brutal one. It does involve sexual assault on children and the death of children. So, if you need to skip this week's episode, we get it. We totally understand. We'll see you next week. Ashley, were you ever a Girl Scout? Um, no. I think I did brownies one year. That was like a Girl Scout type thing. It is. Girl Scouts is the lo- one of the levels. Okay, yeah. I think I did that like, I don't know, probably before pre-sixth grade. I've eaten a couple of brownies. <laughs> <laughs> I've eaten some Girl Scout cookies, so basically I'm like... Yeah, Girl well, Scout. I eat those every year. So, I mean, honorary. I donate a lot of money through cookie buying. <laughs> Jeremy, were you ever a Boy Scout? Yes. You were? Okay. Yes. For how long? Uh, four or five years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my actually, my mother was a den leader. Oh, really? Oh, fun. Yeah. How cool. So it was probably lame, lame at the time, right? You're like, Ugh, mom. No, no, she. We always had fun. She always come up with, you know, because oh, Becky good. does it all. She she's does, awesome. She does we always all. shout out Becky. Every <laughs> she week. probably doesn't listen at <laughs> she all. Does does she? Not, she does not listen to the nerds, but she does love you, girl. So neither but. does I my mom. Her. Does Andrea listen? She does. What up, Andrea? Hi, mom. Fuck you, mom. You need to listen, <laughs> Tracy. <laughs> So I was a Girl Scout uh, for several years, and there are different ranks in Girl Scouts depending on the grades you're in. And the third rank is juniors, and that's roughly grades fourth through fifth grade. Okay. And from what I remember, and I could be totally wrong, so if anyone wants to call me out, feel free, juniors is when you get to go to Girl Scout camp for a week or so. I went to camp, and I can't remember where. I know it was like an hour or so away from where we lived at the time. And the first day was, like, super-duper cool, and I had a blast. And then I was terrified when it came to nighttime because I was in fourth grade, you know? Um, And I was going through that stage of, I don't want to sleep anywhere but my house. We've all been there, right? I still go through that. No. (laughs) Well, yeah, now as an adult, yeah. But no, I was always like, get me the fuck out of here. Well, during the second day, I panicked, and my Girl Scout leader's husband had to take me home. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. During Girl Scout camp, it's basically, like, your classic summer camp. There's games, crafting, playing sports. We slept in tents. We sang campfire songs, earned badges. It was fun from what I remember. I, I know I made a pair of stilts at a coffee cans. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did that too. I remember doing that. Super cool. And I made a kite. It's really a blast. And it's, <laughs> Jeremy's giving me like a little. I'm just going. I'm just focused on the stilts where you like put ropes on the can sides of the cans. Yep. And you just yeah. Yeah. Well, and you, yep. yeah. Okay. Yep. It's a big loop. Yeah, but you got to be careful because because um, ankle you, breakers. Well, yeah, but you keep your feet on like the bottom of the can. That's where you where your feet go, and you got to be real careful careful because the lid could pop off on the bottom if you don't glue it very well, and you just sink into the ground because <laughs> the can cuts right. You had that happen, <laughs> didn't you? Did. You could tell with a look I on her face. I don't remember leaving the lid on it. I think maybe I just walked on cement. I don't remember. <laughs> oh, I was out walking around, and I was scared I was going to fall because I'm kind of a pussy. So <laughs> yeah, those cans are so high, you know. <laughs> I'm terrified of yeah, things. We got an extra Pringles can here. Let's try it. Oh, <laughs> oh, I was looking up for a back behind us. I was like, well, uh, but yeah, it's it's a really good experience to have when you're a kid for sure. Did you, any of you go to summer camp or anything? 
Any of you? Did either of you? <laughs> any, Bobby. Did you go to summer camp? <laughs> she did not answer. She's not amused. <laughs> um, I don't think so. I don't think I ever went. I went away on like a church camp thing where we were like painting old people's houses in Ohio once. But we stayed in a hotel. Oh, that's not camping at all. That's like opposite. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I was telling the story, I realized that oh, we were in a hotel. It wasn't camping. Did you go to summer camp? I uh, no, not when I was in school. But I was lucky enough to go with all three kids when they went for their long weekends up at Camp Amigo up in Michigan. Oh, fun! So I went with I went with Skyler and Gunner, and then me and Bobby both went with Montana, and that is just three days of rigorous activities from fishing to boating to to um uh what else some of the other stuff i can't remember what all they did uh, archery i think was one oh, thing. oh yeah mm-hmm. yep but yeah we slept in really very primitive cabins mm-hmm. and that was pretty <laughs> <laughs> but you overall had a great experience right? overall was a great experience it's something yeah. you remember yeah forever. i wish i would have gone to like a, a sleepaway camp that would have been fun yeah like with the kids i didn't know and shit yeah well, this same experience is one that was supposed to happen for a group of girls in 1977. Every June, Girl Scouts from all over different troops in and around Tulsa would wait for a bus at the Girl Scout headquarters that was in Tulsa, take the 45-minute ride west to Camp Scott, which was a camp owned by the Girl Scouts, and spend two weeks out in the wilderness. Then, from my understanding, after the two weeks were up and the girls were shipped back home, they would pick up another group of girls and start the process all over again. The way the girls went was pretty random and came down to when you were available to go. Like what dates you could go. Two weeks is a long time. That's just what I was long thinking. Isn't it really usually just like a weekend or something? Do what? So isn't it usually like a camp like that, just like a weekend? Uh, may- I could almost see a week, but man, two weeks seems yeah, like a yeah. long time. Yeah, long time, especially for that age group. They were they young. They kill their own food. <laughs> <laughs> so Michelle Hoffman was a longtime scout. From the moment she started going to camp, she knew she was in love with the experience. When she was 15, she was hired as a counselor for Camp Scott. One of her roles was to welcome the girls who were there to go to camp and then herd them onto the bus. Most of these girls were pretty young, between 8 and 10 years old. So, yeah, can you imagine being two weeks away from your family? Yeah, no, I don't think I'd like that. No. Yeah. She remembered feeling nervous her first time going to camp, and most of the time this would be the first time these girls had ever been away from home, especially for this long. So her goal was to make them feel as comfortable as she could. While she got the girls comfortable on the bus, she noticed one girl in particular. Doris, who went by Denise Milner, she was 10 years old. She was very smart and social. Her mother said that she taught herself to read and write and do math by the time that she was four years old. That sounds familiar. Azure. Mm-hmm. It does. It reminded me of Azure. Mm-hmm. She was even, uh, she she was welcomed into this, like, really incredible school for kids that were talented. So, nice. um, her mo- her mother also recalled how Denise never knew a stranger. She was a people person, except in new situations. She could be really quiet and reserved. Denise did not want to go to camp, even though she sold enough cookies that year to earn herself a free trip. She was uncomfortable with going, especially because two of her friends had backed out last minute. So she was just going all by herself and was kind of freaking out about it. She begged her mom to let her stay home, but her mom thought that it would be a good experience being away and trying something new. She promised her that if she truly was not having a good time, she would drive to Camp Scott and pick her up. 
Denise was still putting up a fight as everyone else was getting on the bus to travel to Locust Grove. So Carla, doing her duties, walked over to Denise. Excuse me. I said Michelle Hoffman at the beginning. Carla. Her name is Carla. I don't know why I said Michelle. (laughs) Woof. Uh, So Carla was doing her duties, walked over to Denise, and she helped persuade Denise to go by telling her all the fun experiences that she had had in the past and even said that she would sit with her on the bus ride. So Denise agreed, and as she got on the bus, Denise's mother pulled Carla aside and told her that if her daughter got too homesick, to please let her call home and she would come and pick her up. The ride to Locust Grove was all highway, and the girls were getting to know one another the whole time. The excitement of the two weeks ahead of them was just electrifying. Locust Grove is really far away from civilization. It was recalled as one minute you're on the highway, and then when you go off to go into Locust Grove, you're transported into a totally different place. Camp Scott was in the middle of the woods, and if you blink twice, you'd probably miss it because it was so deep in the woods. It was a very primitive campsite, even for the late 70s. The camp was set up pretty wide with six different units. So kind of just envision this in your head because this is going to be important. Each unit had roughly eight tents, all fanning out around a counselor tent in a semicircle or horseshoe kind of shape. And the tents were really questionable. Like, (laughs) I wouldn't let my own kids stay in one on my property. Did you find pictures? Yes. And I will post them when we do socials because holy Moses, each tent, and I use that in quotes, was placed up on a wooden foundation with stairs that lead up into it to make it look like a wooden cabin. Mm Mm-hmm. The tent itself was very old school, basically tarps that were just placed around the foundation and then set up with poles. There were openings on either side um, that, from what I could tell, didn't have a permanent way for you to close them. Like, there was no zippers, there was no buttons. If they did, it was merely just a rope. It definitely wasn't meant to keep anyone in or out. Over the top of the tents was a shade that was strung across it and tied to trees, and I'm presuming to keep out water better. Inside the tents were basic cots on frames, and that was it. There was no lights, nothing. The counselor's tent was placed in a way where they were able to see all of the different numbered tents about 150 feet from each other, with number eight being the furthest away and hardest to see. And this was not only because it was far away, it was partially covered by a shower building. Why Why were they fanned out so wide? 150 feet apart is a lot. Yeah, I, I don't know. Huh. I, I'm going to go back to the fact that they had to sell cookies to go on this adventure. And... <laughs> right. It's like punishment. Whoever didn't sell enough cookies should yeah, they, got, they got tent number eight. Right. Oh, 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 Jeremy. Oh, no. Sorry. So the girls arrived on June 12th. So today is what? June 18th? I think it's the 19th, yeah. 19th, mm-hmm. so hitting that anniversary oh no and they were taken to each uh, 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 the girls arrived on june 12th and were taken to each other's units to put their bags away and meet their bunk mates in tent number eight some articles state that it was tent seven but it was definitely tent yeah eight. eight is what i've always heard reported yeah um and that was that's from the mouths of the people that were there mm-hmm. denise was paired with eight-year-old Lori lee farmer and nine-year-old michelle gusset at unit kiawa So, Lori was the youngest girl at camp. She was the first child of her parents' five children and definitely played the part of that older sister that 
you know, takes care of all of her siblings. She loved whenever they brought home a new baby. She always took it upon herself to take care of them whenever they, what? Whenever they brought home a new baby? Like, yeah. yeah, they had a lot of kids. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, she was really excited about camp and so much that she packed nearly a week ahead of time. Yeah. Lori was going to be spending her ninth birthday at camp, which was just a week after they had arrived. Michelle Gousset was a quiet, athletic girl. Her mom was a teacher at the school in Broken Arrow, where most of the girls were from. So Michelle was pretty well known. She loved plants and made sure to tell her mom before she left to take care of her plants for her. Uh, Her favorite was African violets, which are kind of hard to take care of from my understanding. So real quick, Mm -hmm. uh, all these girls went to school together? No, they were from surrounding areas, but a lot of the girls came from Broken Arrow, so they did know Michelle's mother Okay, because she was a teacher there. That's a badass name for a town, can I just say? Broken Arrow. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's in Oklahoma. There's a lot of native culture there. Yeah. Um, This wasn't Michelle's first time at Camp Scott. She had been to Camp Scott the previous year and knew the camp pretty well, so I'm sure she was like a huge help to Denise and Lori. This was the first time that these girls had ever met... That's Sorry, good. all the clanging you hear on the ground is it's Ozzy. Just down here. Ozzy. It's just Ozzy. They don't care. It's our little sausage dog just we rolling love around. Ozzy. It's a, it's a, a, we're toasting a sausage over there here. We go. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was the first time these girls had ever met, and they quickly became really, really good friends. A fourth girl was supposed to arrive to stay in tent eight with them, but she wasn't supposed to come until the next day. I bet I know who that fourth girl is. I bet you don't. Oh. <laughs> it's not... <laughs> Kristen Chenoweth. No, that oh, wasn't her. Okay. <laughs> Shot in the dark. So, wow, I totally went off. <laughs> Missed that one. <laughs> so, while all the girls were in the Great Hall for dinner at 7 p.m., a storm rolled in. The storm was hard and harsh. They couldn't even get back to their tents, and they were sure as hell not going to do anything fun that day. Mm -hmm. So they spent the time waiting for the storm to die down a little, singing campfire songs and Girl Scout songs in the hall. And finally, the rain lightened up just enough that the girls could all trudge back to their units and get ready for bed. The girls were still so riddled with excitement over their new friends and adventure that the counselors had a tough time getting them to calm down for the night. So, since they weren't ready to sleep, the counselors suggested that they write their first letters home. Then they would try to do a story time around the fire. Um, Then they'd have them get in their cots and get some rest because they needed it since tomorrow would be filled with tons of new experiences for them. Denise had no problem telling her mother exactly how she felt in the letter. And (laughs) I feel so bad, but this letter is kind of funny because she's just so frank about it. Uh, She wrote to her mom saying, I don't like camp. It's awful. (laughs) I don't want to stay the full two weeks. Aww. Yeah. After story time with the counselors, Denise stressed to Counselor D that she really wanted to call her mom. But considering it was late and time for bed, she tried her best to comfort her and told her that no, she couldn't call her mom, but she would allow her to call her first thing in the morning. While everyone was settling down, a counselor from the Comanche, I think is how you pronounce it, unit, the unit that was stationed stationed just south of Kiawa, noticed something moving in the darkness of the forest, um, which was right outside their tents. Squatch. It was a Sasquatch, yeah. (laughs) It was a very dim light. Um, And if you've ever been in the forest at night, you know just how dark it gets out there. Yeah, you'd see a light no matter how dim it was. Oh, yeah. You'd see it. Like, even fireflies look like torches. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So it was super dark and you would need a really good light to be able to navigate. She didn't think anything of it and just ignored it. At around midnight, Counselor Carla was woken up in the middle of the night. She heard girls giggling and talking, which, Naturally. no shock. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that wasn't in- uncommon, especially on the first night of camp. This was the first time a lot of these girls had this sort of freedom. So once again, at 1.30, a tent of girls near her tent wouldn't stop laughing and giggling, turning their flashlights on and off, and just being disruptive preteen girls. They're just having fun. Yeah. yeah just yeah. having a blast. Yeah. You can't sleep. You get slap happy. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So for fun. sure. Alicia knows all about getting oh, slapped. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you listen to the end of episode, what, 25? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Carla and Dee, which are the camp counselors, opened the flap to their tent and shone their flashlight out at tent six, where the noises were coming from. They shouted for the girls to calm down, which didn't work, so they got out and headed towards the tent. When Counselor Carla got out of her tent to get on the girls for the noise, she realized there was a noise coming from tent two, the one nearest the counselor tent. The noise was different. It was weird. A noise that she just couldn't place. It was something between a moan and a growl. She had never heard an animal make this kind of noise, but didn't think it was a person either. Sasquatch. (laughs) She (laughs) She tried to place where the noise was coming from, and it wasn't from the tents. It was more towards the road near the units that led to the showers. She walked towards it and tried to point her flashlight in the direction to get a view of what it was, but couldn't see anything. The closer she got to where she believed it was coming from, the noise would just completely stop. She would shine her flashlight, not see anything, then turn around to head back to her tent, and then the noise would start again. Creepy. Yeah. So she turned back around to try to see where it was, and then it would stop. She played this kind of game with whatever the noise was about three times, uh, and then she just got too scared and took off back to her tent. She was hoping it was just an animal, maybe it was her, maybe she was just not thinking correctly, her brain was sleepy, groggy, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, her head was playing games on her. Whatever it was, she didn't want it pouncing on her in the middle of the dark in the woods. This girl's 15. Right, it's not like these are like, you know, college graduate, 30-year-old camp counselors, these are kids. I would still be scared as a 30-year-old woman. Well, me too, but you would make a little more logical decisions about safety, I think, yeah. if you were a little yeah. bit older than 15. So she went back to her tent, tried to sleep, and could still hear that noise as she was trying to go to sleep. Carla said still to this day that she regrets not being brave. Yeah. Around this time, a camper in Tent 7 said that she watched a light being shown into her tent and saw the figure of a man. But as quickly as he appeared... He just disappeared. So she turned over, went back to bed, tried to pretend it didn't happen. Um, some of the other girls in the Kiawa t- unit said that they heard a girl calling out for her mama. And others said that they just heard screams. I can't imagine just how scared this group of girls was during all of this. Like, can you imagine just being Dude. eight, nine, ten years old and hearing these noises and, like, you're in the middle of nowhere and a place you have no idea. Right, and, like, there's quote adult and I'm not saying anything against the camp counselor oh you know you don't expect what happened to happen but you have these adults that you're you know that you trust to protect you and you think you're safe and you're fine and that's just not always the case you know that's so fucking I hate this case so much I do too and this is all going on on the very first night the very first night yeah Yeah, so yep 
There was a landowner also um, that was near the campgrounds, and he stated that during 2 and 3 a.m., he had heard quite a bit of commotion, in quotes, near a trail that led into the camp. Counselor Carla woke up to the alarm sounding that it was time to wake up at 6 a.m. She grabbed her glasses and headed out towards the showers to get ready before she needed to wake up the other campers. As she got closer, she noticed some sleeping bags partially on the road under a tree. And her first thought was, oh, wow, I better get these laid out and hung up so that they can dry. Um, Surely they were just soaked from all the rain that they got yesterday, so she just needed to get them out. But as she walked closer, she saw the figure of a girl laying nude half on the road. She got closer still and realized that this girl was dead. She, naturally being 15, didn't think the worst. She tried to make sense of what she was seeing. Carla immediately assumed that the girl had gotten scared in the middle of the night because of all the noises and stuff Mm -hmm. and took off the tent to run away and slammed into the tree that the sleeping bags were under. And that's how she died. So Carla ran back towards the counselor tent, woke up her co-counselors, Dee and Susan, and told them that they needed to go to each tent and take a head count. They needed to be sure to touch each child to make sure that they were accounted for and that they were breathing and alive. As they got to tent eight, they saw blood on the flaps of the entrance. When the co-counselors looked inside, the tent was empty, other than pools of blood on the floor and the cots. It dawned on Carla that wasn't just sleeping bags. It was all three girls that were in tent eight. Carla ran as fast as she could down the path to to Barbara Day, the camp director's tent, and her husband was there, Richard Day, who was an emergency room nurse. So not only could they inform the director of what was going on, but they could have him come back to establish what was going on with the girls and maybe be able to save them the two remaining girls because she already had a feeling that denise was dead um so the husband ran as fast as he could back to kiawa unit and he had already checked the sleeping bags by the time carla had arrived back and the two girls um and the two girls they didn't see because their sleeping bags were completely zipped up and they were huddled nude at the bottom of them he believed that Denise, Lori, and Michelle had been murdered, and then he phoned the police. Um, swarms of police arrived immediately from all surrounding areas, and during this time, obviously, social media wasn't around to tip off the media, so designated people kept listening to police scanners. Michael Wheat was a reporter who worked for the prior Jefferson newspaper and was in charge of following any emergency vehicles that were going out. He was woken up at 7 a.m. by... Uh, the man that was listening dispatch and was told to rush out to Camp Scott. It took him no time to get there, but by the time he did, the media was just all over the scene, nearly attacking the cops to get information. He said when he got out of his vehicle that he could hear girls singing through the woods. Creepy. Yeah. All the police would say is that there were three Girl Scouts that had been found murdered. Immediately, Michael started uh, photographing anything and everything that he saw on the ground. There was a pair of woman's glasses with a case, hairbrushes, compacts, a flashlight, and a roll of tape. He wasn't sure if it was evidence, but he knew he needed to make sure that he captured everything that he saw. Where where was that stuff at? It was scattered all around the campsite. Okay, not just like by their tent? No, it was all over. Okay, okay. Um, He eventually was told by the sheriff that he needed to go photograph the tent, tent eight. Michael walked up to it and saw the, um, saw the tent, and he photographed the smearing of blood on the entrance. 
Um, when he walked in, he was just in complete shock, naturally. Puddles of blood on everything, the floor, the cots, the inside of the tent walls. There were footprints that were from a size nine and a half shoe everywhere in the blood. But he got to work and made sure to document as best as he could. And I'll post some of the pictures. I'm not going to post the really gruesome ones, but he took a lot of pictures. I've never, I'm really careful not to look up pictures because you google doesn't filter everything oh, and i've no. seen some shit and i'm like i did not want to fucking see that yeah for sure so i've never seen any pictures for this case because i was not i would never ever google pictures you're a brave you're a brave soul it's pretty gnarly so yeah i would like to see your pictures <laughs> she just she didn't want to see the pictures. No, no, I just mean oh, the you Google them. Yeah, yes. and you yeah. So yeah, okay. there's no, so we're none gonna of put the... the Alicia filter on. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, thank you. <laughs> so uh while the investigation was underway, Michelle uh, excuse me, Carla and the other counselors knew that they had to keep the other Girl Scouts away from the site as much as possible. So when they woke the girls up before the cops arrived, they pretended that they were angry at them for keeping them up all night which is really smart thinking on behalf of those teenage Mm -hmm. girls for real um they rushed them around and told them that they were going on an early morning hike as punishment for keeping them up all night and then they split and mixed up all the other units after the hike and had them go to do crafts or sing songs or go for nature walks again whatever they could do to keep them busy and to keep them from noticing that three of their fellow scouts were missing After making phone calls to parents, the director of Camp Scott decided to shuttle the girls in the bus back to the headquarters in Tulsa. Parents were there waiting for their children, which I'm sure was just absolutely nerve-wracking in itself. But the bus, (laughs) to add insult to injury, the bus was an hour late. Mm -hmm. So um, there's actual, um, I, I can't remember if it's video footage or if it's just photos, but there's parents that are grabbing their daughters and like smiling at them and hugging them as tight as they can as they walked away filled with the sense of relief that it wasn't their daughter i was gonna say what what did they tell the parents i don't know and i from my assumption it was released into the media and that's how parents found out that's that was what i was right so they informed no one yeah Yeah. well they just well we'll get in we'll get into okay okay um so, yeah, I'm sure they were just really relieved that it wasn't their daughter, but then they were also filled with sorrow and guilt knowing that another parent lost their girl right. earlier mm-hmm. that morning. Lori's father, which Lori is the youngest one, um, Bo Farmer was an emergency room director at St. John's Medical Center and was just finishing up his night shift. Right before he was able to leave, um, he was phoned to the nurse's station that he had a phone call. It was the camp director who relayed the news that no parent wants to hear. His daughter was found dead at camp. He was in complete shock of what was going on, and his medical partner walked into the ER, and and that was really loud. That's a lot. Is it a gas-powered one, or what? It's it's funny. You know, we're we're doing this outside at the camper, so we have all that ambient sound. Yes. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. boom, boom, boom. It's like, oh, wow, that was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... Yeah, his medical partner walked into the ER and said that he wasn't, he was going to take him home because he didn't want him to drive because he was in like complete shock naturally. Yeah. Um, so his wife, Sherry Farmer, knew something was very wrong when she saw her husband walk in the door with the other doctor. They asked her to sit down and she refused, you know, when you're like, I need you to sit down. Um, and she thought that maybe if she didn't sit down to get this news, it wouldn't be real. Right, right. 
Denise's mother, Betty, worked at a hospital at the time also, and the director called directly there to tell her the news because he couldn't find a way to get a hold of her, but he knew that she worked at a hospital. Um, so he had said, or she had said that her daughter was beaten to death in her tent, and which is not accurate. Betty went home where her family came to counsel her, and she had no other information other than her daughter was dead and possibly beaten. Her cousin knew the medical examiner at the time, and after making a phone call, was able to find her true cause of death, which was strangulation, which I'm, like, blown away that they were just able to call and, like, find out this information. Right. Well, and why would the camp director get... Be making all these phone calls? Well, why would he be saying something, like, so brutal about when that's not the case? Well, and I, I... It's probably an assumption because the amount of blood that was found in the tent... I know, but why give any kind of detail no, like that? You shouldn't. you shouldn't be giving any details. You, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's very little information about Michelle Gousset and like what happened with her mom. Like I, I couldn't really find any information about it. Like I watched the documentary and they kind of steered away from her in that whole thing too. So hmm. I don't know if there's something going on. Her mom doesn't want to talk. The family just wants to not think about it. Right. Kind of right. Thing, which would which be totally understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Something smells delicious. I know. Do we all so smell that? <laughs> My stomach is growling. <laughs> so, uh, during the police investigation of the scene, no one wanted to open the sleeping bags again because after the camp director's husband went, he zipped the bags back up. Um, and, like, the coroner was out there and just, like, shit-talking all the investigators. Like, I can't believe you guys wouldn't look in there. Like, these girls are just trapped inside these sleeping bags. They could have still been alive. You guys left them out there for hours. Like, they probably weren't alive, as we find out. Well, but what, from your research, what do you think? Do you think that, that was justified him laying into them like that? Or do you, why do you think he did that? Well, yeah, you're supposed to be an investigator for a crime scene, and you're going to just not handle right. the crime You're scene like my fragile accurately yeah yeah hmm. um but so when the coroner got there he opened the sleeping bags and started examining them and one of them was still warm to the touch oh no yeah they had been bound with the same tape that was found at the scene police concluded that the girls were only 150 feet from their tent and that the blood smeared on the entrance of the tent was roughly about shoulder height for a man the evidence from the tent and where the girls were found showed that at least two of the girls, Lori and Michelle, definitely were murdered inside of the tent. The suspect then picked up each sleeping bag. This is so fucked up. This is such a fucked up image in my head. Um, the suspect picked up each sleeping bag with the girl still inside, threw it over his shoulder, and carried them out almost like a sack. Uh, so that's how the blood smeared through the flaps of the tent and how when they found the girls in their sleeping bags, their bodies were pushed to the foot of them. Denise was more than likely murdered out by the road considering how her body was found. And there was also evidence that the girls were sexually molested. Word of what had happened at Camp Scott just spread like wildfire amongst the community. And before long, the whole area was just terrified. The police couldn't work fast enough. Obviously, there was a monster on the loose and there were very little clues to point to who it could have been. One of the objects that Michael Weaver had found while photographing um, turned out to be a bigger piece of the puzzle than thought. It was the flashlight. The suspect had definitely left this behind, and 
the flashlight itself had a black trash bag taped around the lens with a really small hole poked, poked in it. So this was done to dim the light and allow only a small area to be shown through. Wow. Also, this was really smart. I don't remember it's that so detail. Gross. Yeah. Well, wait till you hear this. It Also, inside of the battery compartment, there was newspaper that was shoved around the batteries to keep them from rattling when he was uh, moving it. Um, the flashlight had a fingerprint on it, but it was never identified. It was also discovered that the killer had left behind several empty beer bottles and a crowbar that was beside the fence near the back entrance to the campgrounds. And I, I forgot to include this um, at the beginning, but there was a back entrance right where Camp Kiowa or the unit for Kiowa was. Oh, back entrance to the hole. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow. Yes. Okay. Investigators concluded that whomever had done this definitely knew what they were doing, and they were well acquainted with the wilderness. This person knew the area really well. The back entrance that the camp, to the camp was right past a trail that ran behind the camp. Oh, I did include it. My bad. God, <laughs> I'm a fine. mess. Double um, down. He had to have known how to gain access to the area and know that he would be able to get into the tents from the openings that were in the back of the tents. Because remember, there's... Everything's facing the counselor's tents or whatever, the main parts. Of them. Yes, but yeah. the tents themselves had flaps on the right. backs and in the fronts for exit and entrance. Um, so who would be the people that knew this area the best? Who's your first immediate response? Um, the locals? The owners of the actual camp. Counselors. The counselors okay. would know because they've been at this campsite for, you know, they've got to earn that right to be a counselor. Mm. And the staff at the campsite. But they were quickly able to rule out each one as a suspect. So then they looked to the property owners surrounding the camp, camp Scott once again, and they ruled them out. With not much to go off of, law enforcement began putting together a plan on how to start doing searches through the area what for clues. That? And What is that thing? What the fuck was well, that? Why is just standing on a wheel? <laughs> <laughs> what you'll see out here at Jellystone. What the fuck? That was pretty amazing, wasn't it? That was cool. At least he was wearing a helmet and elbow pads. Yeah, probably- so I'm so sorry, but... No, you're okay. That was wild. <laughs> look on her face. So, anyway, with not much to go off of, law enforcement began putting together a plan on how to start doing searches through the area for clues and possibly a suspect. The area was dense woods riddled with abandoned farms, old cellars, numerous caves and cliffs, this was literally an investigator's worst nightmare. Right, and so many places to hide. Oh, yeah. It was like finding a needle in a ha- giant haystack. Mm-hmm. The more they searched through the area, they were able to narrow it down to three caves where evidence was located. Mm-hmm. At the opening of one of the caves, police found a circle of four small fires that they believed were part of a ritual. In the other caves, they were able to find other sorts of clues. The killer was here. Bye-bye, fools, was scratched into the walls. Sunglasses that they they discovered were taken from a counselor at Camp Scott. Plastic tape that they were able to compare to the tape used on the flashlight to hold the bag onto the lens. It was matched to it. In one cave, they found groceries, beer, and a newspaper that matched the newspaper that was shoved into the flashlight. And more duct tape that was found on the girls. They definitely suspected the killer had been hiding in these caves. So, this is the weirdest weirdest thing they found several ripped up photographs they were pictures from a wedding and they knew immediately that these pictures could hold a clue to who the fuck did this yeah 
So the police reconstructed the photos back to being whole and broadcasted them on local television. They asked if anyone was able to identify who was in these photos or who possibly took them, and they wanted them to contact them. So sure enough, it was literally in no time they were linked to a man named Gene Leroy Hart, who went by Leroy. Leroy was pretty well known within the small town of Locust Grove. He was part of the Cherokee Nation and lived only about a mile from Camp Scott. In the 1960s, he was an All-American football star for the high school. Um, He was offered several full scholarships to play football in college, but he turned them all down. Leroy decided to get married to his high school girlfriend right out of graduation, get a job, and have a baby, but the American dream Leroy had planned didn't pan out. He and his wife divorced, and Leroy headed down a really, really rough path. He started drinking a lot, he was hanging out in bars all the time, and he became really violent. Now, was he the man in the picture, or was it just, was it a family member? It was a different family that was, that he had pictured. Okay. But we'll get to why. Why. Okay, okay. One night at a bar in the late 60s, Leroy left with two pregnant women, women that he had met while he was there. He proceeded to kidnap them at gunpoint and took them out in the middle of the woods and he then tied each of them to a tree, robbed them, raped them, and left them for dead. I remember this. Yeah. Side note that I'm not sure where to fit in, but Leroy needed glasses, but he refused to get his own. So he stole these women's glasses, which is a key part in this, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I believe. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. Um, so... Anyway, Leroy was sentenced and sent to jail and just a few months later was let out on parole. When he was released, he started robbing homes while the owners were asleep. There's a oh, dog I barking thought, at me. I thought Jeremy farted. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn, dude. Are you stuck? He's Aww. stuck. All right, we'll continue. I'll unstuck him. Okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah, he started robbing homes while the owners were asleep. His burglary spree is difficult to follow because the first three robberies were not reported to the authorities. It wasn't until the fourth home, the home of a Tulsa police officer, was robbed. I think they're waving at you, Jeremy. <laughs> Do you know who that was? Oh, I know who that was. What'd, yes, they, what'd they say? That's Phil and Karen. They say, she said, go Chiefs. Oh. oh. <laughs> this is what you get for being out here. Yeah, I love it. Code. This is what you get. I'm into it. Uh, okay, so... Where was I at? (laughs) So, yeah, he burglarized these homes. Nobody reported anything. And then it wasn't until the fourth home, the home of a Tulsa police officer who robbed... There that guy goes again, that one-wheel man. That's cool. Aisley's going to totally track him down in a bit. She is. The police officer's home was robbed, and his crimes were all brought to the forefront. Hart was convicted on four counts of burglary. Since he was on parole for the rape and kidnapping of the two women, the court served him consecutive sentences of roughly 90 years, so he was facing approximately 350 years of prison time. Nice. Eventually, Leroy earned work release as a photographer for the jail. How does that happen to I a violent know. offender? God. I don't know. It. That I, makes no sense. How do you get 350, what was it again? 300 how many years? Like three ninety-year sentences or something. Yeah. So what's that accumulate to? Uh, Thirty-six, three hundred and sixty. 
years. Don't do math. Math is not my strong math. point. How <laughs> Nine times three. in the world are you going to serve that many years when it comes to that point? Why are we not sticking him on death row or just, just finishing it? Yeah. Let's, let's not even do death row. There's no point. Yeah. You, you're supposed to be that long in jail. Right. How... Having a sentence like that, how do they let you out for anything? Well, that's true, but yeah, that is not acceptable. So, <laughs> wait till you hear this. <laughs> during stupid. during a jail visit in 1973, Leroy's mother had brought him a Bible, and inside that Bible was a file. Oh, like a nail file or like a legal file? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm assuming like a heavy duty one because Leroy proceeded to use that file on the bars and was able to escape. Oh my gosh. So okay. it was a legal file. So it was like a, yeah, I thought you meant like a document almost. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do remember that. So it was probably like a, like a, a tool file. Oh like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so he escaped from jail. He was caught, brought back. And then two weeks later he escaped again. Oh my God. But this time he wasn't able to be found. And from what everyone concluded, Leroy just didn't fear authorities. The authorities. Once uh, Pete Weaver, the local sheriff for Locust Grove, was able to connect Leroy Hart to these murders, he immediately accused him for the murders and sent out for a search. So a manhunt just exploded to find Leroy. Who so, th- go ahead. That would make sense, though, if this dude, like, there's groceries in a cave, if it's some dude that's, like, on the lamb from prison. Mm-hmm. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. So, at this point, he had been on the run for four years, and people had claimed to just see him regularly over those four years. But he was becoming becoming more of a myth and lure of Locust Grove than anything else. There were 600 to 700 volunteers that were helping look for Leroy around the woods in Locust Grove. They were even able to get helicopters and to search the land by air, sniffer dogs. Do you know about those? Uh, It ain't that sniffer dog for sure. That's a liquor dog. I was just going to (laughs) say He's licking Jeremy's face. Um, So, yeah, they called these dogs in from out of state because they were known as super dogs because of how well they were able to track down scents. The dogs were able to track a scent from the tent, but then weird things started happening. Dogs would act as if they were following a scent and then out of nowhere just get confused and stop. Some dogs would track and then completely quit get distracted or stop and signal in weird places that didn't make sense one dog died in the middle of the mission due to heat exhaustion and another dog died because it sprinted off into traffic out of nowhere which these are well-trained dogs and just to note i know last episode i said there were no dog murders and i didn't realize that my (gasps) next case would in fact have dog murder so i'm really sorry cover ozzy's ears okay only the one doggy murder it doesn't count i'm sorry was it i mean he just died of heat exhaustion oh wait just wait i will tell you why (laughs) so the way the dogs acted and how they weren't able to find leroy and the fact that he was native american started leading people to come up with bizarre theories right like curses and shit oh yeah the community started saying that leroy was using native magic and was a shapeshifter that the reason the trail would go cold because he was turning into a bird and flying off they also said that he was using his magic to confuse the dogs or even kill them but the police obviously dismissed these theories and said that he was just simply a very good woodsman and able to throw off his trail right 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 that's not that hard for someone who's like educated in in tracking and shit exactly yeah exactly 
During the search for Leroy, his face was everywhere. He was broadcasted across the news channels and the papers and talked nonstop among the community. A lot of people knew who Leroy was because of his incredible football career in high school and never imagined that he was capable of doing something so horrible. To the extent that people started believing that he was the victim, completely bypassing the three girls who were murdered. The farmers started getting harassed that Leroy was innocent, and even Betty Milner was told by a woman getting her blood drawn at the hospital she worked at that Leroy was not the one who killed her daughter. How fucked up is that? I Yeah, I remember this. They Pe- were thinking it was just like a racial like manhunt mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, People started saying that Sheriff Pete Weaver had it out for Leroy, that he escaped jail twice under his watch, and now Weaver was going to make him the scapegoat. Some people stated that he was doing this for revenge because of the racism between the natives. The relationship between the white people and the natives in the area was already pretty rocky because during the 70s, um, the people in the community were trying to push off push out the native off their reservations and teach them how to be able to get jobs like white people jobs quote mm-hmm. unquote outside of their nations there was obviously pushback on both sides and they couldn't trust one another and Leroy was stuck in the middle of it all making it like borderline a conspiracy theory right he was like a martyr yeah yeah the manhunt came back with nothing the police knew that they needed to find Leroy to get answers and they were willing to do whatever they could so they contacted the coroner for Locust Grove, who was Native American, the same one that was out at the campgrounds with the girls, and asked if he would be willing to go undercover in the Native community to hopefully gain some leads. He obliged, headed to the local bars, and started talking. Soon enough, when they got comfortable, people started feeding them lead. Mm-hmm. He found out that Leroy was suspected of staying with a medicine man who was well-loved within the Native community, Sam Pigeon. But he lived in a very remote area called Cookson Hills. And Cookson Hills was known as the Badlands in Oklahoma. This area was known for being anti-law, anti-authority, had a deep history with shoot-offs and other crime, being a place many famous outlaws frequented, like Bonnie and Clyde. Cookson Hills wasn't a place just anyone would go into. It had thick forests, was very primitive, and it was easy just to get lost. But the coroner knew where he was going, and they watched Sam Pigeon's house for six to seven hours until they figured that they could finally go up to the house. After they knocked, Sam's wife approached the door, and they told her that... (laughs) Ozzy! (laughs) They told her that they believed her husband was helping a criminal, and that if she wanted them to live, she needed to take them to where they were. So, because they knew if the white authorities were to catch them, neither would survive yeah yeah so she got in the police car told them where to go and after several miles they came upon a cabin in the desolate middle of the woods and it was sam pigeons um cops were dispatched 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 out to the cabin and surrounded it so leroy leroy couldn't run again a team of OSBI agents were able to apprehend Leroy, and the manhunt ended on April 6th, 1978, after 10 months. He hid for 10 months? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, that was after he escaped or after the murders? After the murders. So okay. he had been already missing for four years, or oh, had been yeah. escaped for four right. years. To move forward with the court hearing, it was talked about that they needed to move the venue because Leroy had a lot of supporters, and it would become a problem with the jury. But unfortunately, they didn't change the location. This was the best possible outcome for Leroy. 
The trial was made had made national news, and it took several days. The courtroom was just packed with onlookers and media. Everyone had their eyes on Leroy and the outcome of this case. The courtroom also had to be locked down and secured for safety. The testimony stated that Leroy had been the only suspect and was the suspect from later on. Um, like earlier on. Okay, I was excuse me. What? From early from early on. <clears throat> it was also revealed that there were several threats at the campsite before the summer groups had even been welcomed to stay. This included a slash tent flap, various burglaries of counselor tents and surrounding homes, um, and a note threatening the incoming campers. April 1977, two months before the murders occurred, a trading session for camp counselors was held at Camp Scott. The weekend ended before it was supposed to after a camplers... Camplers. Wow. Camplers. You're having some word Learn issues today. I'm talk. bad. <laughs> Camper, a ca- camp counselor's cabin was, was ransacked and a disturbing note was discovered in an empty box of donuts. Which is weird. The note was handwritten and included, we are on a mission to kill three girls in one tent. Very precise. I think it's pretty blunt. Yeah. Yeah, and we, too. Yes. Exactly. There was also a model of a man that was had been hung in a tree. So the campers were obviously scared of what they had found. But since the note had also mentioned something about Martians... The administrators dismissed the entire series of events as just a prank and that was in poor taste to scare each other. And no one would come forward to say it was them. Um, so these threats had been not been disclosed to the camp to front by the camp to the campers' families, even though the camp directors had been aware of what had happened before summer camp started. Right, like so they could make an informed decision whether they yes. want to send their kids or not. Exactly. Nearly a year after he was found, um, the trial against Jean Leroy Hart for the murders of Lori Farmer, Denise Milner, and Michelle Gousset came back after a very brief deliberation of the jury. Leroy Hart was acquitted on all charges. Although Hart wasn't charged with the murders, he was still charged with serving out his jail time from his previous crimes. Right, right. and escaping, so he's still going to be... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he had um, returned to the state penitentiary in McAllister, Oklahoma. Oh, my God, why wow. can't I talk? Jesus. <laughs> he returned to the state penitentiary in McAllister, Oklahoma. Oh, my gosh. To, I've been to McAllister, Oklahoma. Have you really? Yeah. <laughs> to serve the remaining 305 years of his... 300 and something sentence. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> Jeremy. I'm still trying to do the right. math on that. There's a, he, did, he had to serve out a lot of years. Okay. More than a lifetime. Yes. So, a little over a month later, on June 4th, Hart was out exercising in the prison yard. For over an hour, he had been lifting weights and just jogging around the yard, and then suddenly he collapsed from a heart attack and died at 35 years old. Oh, good. In 1989, a DNA test was ran on the DNA found at the crime scene, and more than half of it was a match to Leroy. But statistically, it was one in 770 Native Americans that would match these same results. 770? 7,700. I was peeking. Sorry. I'm just I a know you mess want your today, guys. To I'm so sorry. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. So these same, uh, no, sorry. Whoop. 
again in 2008. Jeremy's like so disappointed in me right now. <laughs> again in 2008, DNA was ran from semen stains that were found on a pillowcase that was in the tent that belonged to Michelle. So unfortunately, the results came back inconclusive due to deterioration of the samples. But in 2013, Mike Reed became sheriff. And he knew of this case. He grew up right next to the campgrounds. So the farmers actually went to him asking him if he could please solve this case. And Mike knew that this was now going to be his life's mission. Um, $30,000 in donations were raised in 2017 by Mike Reed so that they could run the DNA through new and advanced testing. In 2022, authorities made it public that DNA evidence strongly suggested Hart's involvement in the murders of Lori, Denise, and Michelle. It was determined in 2019, thanks to the donations, but out of respect for the families, they didn't want to go public until that the family was ready. So Sheriff Reed stated, unless something new comes up, something brought to light we are not aware of, I am convinced where I'm sitting of Hart's guilt and involvement in this case. The day of the murder, the day all the scouts were shipped back to Tulsa, was the last day that Camp Scott was ever open after being founded in 1928. It was subsequently abandoned by the Girl Scouts of America, sold to a local family in the 1980s, and since then, Mother Nature has completely taken over. It's frequented by true crime enthusiasts and ghost hunters who swear the girls still haunt the campgrounds. The Milner and Farmer families also sued Hartford Insurance Company, who held insurance over the camp, and Magic Empire Council Girl Scouts for $5 million in damages. But a jury, 9-3, ruled in favor of the Girl Scouts and the insurance that they were not liable for the murders caused by negligence. As of today, the case has never been formally labeled as solved, but some good came from this horrendous situation. Richard Gousset, Michelle's father, was able to help the state legislator pass the Oklahoma Victims' Bill of Rights, and he also helped found the Oklahoma Crime Victims' Compensation Board. Lori's mother, Sherry Farmer, founded the Oklahoma Chapter Support Group Parents of Murdered Children. So my sources were Keeper of the Ashes documentary on Hulu, Oklahoma Girl Scout Murders article on Wikipedia, girlscoutmurder.com, um, Coco. K-O-C-O dot com and the Oklahoman newspaper. So, Ashley, Jay, how are we feeling? Which, which one was the new documentary that you said just came out? Was that The, the Keeper Ash- of the Ashes. The Keeper of the Ashes. Okay, yes. I'm going to have to watch that. <clears throat> it's like a it's like a four-episode miniseries. Hmm. That's super solemn. Jeremy has not said, like, anything this whole episode, which is not like you. Mm-hmm. You're usually pretty it's vocal. A, it's, a, it's a lot to take in. Um, yeah. There's a lot of information. I guess I'm going to go back to what I'm going to consider the elephant in the room. Okay. We talked about DNA. This doesn't match. You talked about the one in seven. 7,700. Okay. We talk about that because all the Native Americans kind of share that. They had a fingerprint on the flashlight. Why wouldn't they It was that? unidentified. Yeah, but they ran it, it when they ran him? it. Why wouldn't they run it against him and later after they had him back? I'm wondering if... There were so many people at the crime scene, somebody else touched it, and that's why it didn't match him directly, because they would have had fingerprints because he was in prison. That's what I was thinking, too. Was yeah. like once, once we I wonder had if that. he wore gloves, because he seems very intelligent. Knowing what well, he's doing. yeah, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't put um, newspaper inside so the freaking batteries right, don't jingle. Right. And don't. then forget gloves. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly, but I just yeah, it's so weird that we have this fingerprint and they, I mean, unidentifiable. I would start fingerprinting everybody that was out there. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. access it. Like find a out partial why. or or you know distorted somehow if it was like on a plastic bag yeah well i'm wondering if it was maybe a counselor that tried to grab it and pick it up and then was that's told what not i was thinking to, too or a police until, officer because i mean the crime scene was not locked down at all it was it was miscombobulated entirely i also understand why um the counselor would get spooked while trying to go out and see what those noises are but i think i would have played you know if you think it was an animal i think i would have played the game of kind of working towards that sound with the flashlight off trying to find it oh god no. i would never have done that i would have went and woke up <laughs> my co-counselors and yeah, been like and that, let's yeah. all go yeah. out there that's another thing is like we need to figure out what that is but right and it would be for me at she was what 15 yeah for me at 15 it would literally be we need to figure this out because i'm scared i don't give a shit about all these girls like it would be you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. no, at that like, age it would yeah. literally You're be selfish. like self-preservation yeah, yeah i totally get that but you know as a counselor you're there Mm-hmm. To protect, and yeah. you know, I, I get it. I totally get it. But mm-hmm. um, other than that, I just, I guess, I want to know. Really, the big question is why? Why would he be so angry? Did that was the pictures of somebody, right. somebody he that? loved that you know he didn't get later on in life? Was it? And those girls weren't linked to those wedding photos at all. It was no. just him. So yeah, what what did that have to do? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think that's another thing that the police have never figured out as right, motive right. they just don't know because they just found them ripped up right in, in one mm-hmm. of the caves so it was like and they couldn't match beer bottles or anything like that to cave to back to him through that direction that i don't know i didn't i, didn't, I well he had robbed several homes in the area and there was one man that said yeah, I'm missing groceries, I'm missing this, I'm missing that, right. I'm missing beer bottles, and they kind of connected that. They they kind of got tunnel vision, especially the sheriff, yeah. because mm-hmm. he did not like Leroy at all. So there's like that mix of, right, is this real or right. is it not? Assume that these came from there when maybe they really didn't. But yeah. I mean, he's a, <clears throat> excuse me, he's a pretty good candidate, I'd yeah, say. for sure. Especially since they don't have any other leads, he's on the lam. Yeah. And I guess the one last question is, is why take him out of the tent? Yeah, none of it makes sense. The whole situation is just... Right, and leave him out in the open. Like, yeah. maybe it might be like a like a shock factor, you know? Maybe, yeah. Or maybe he the just completely girl... lost his mind because I couldn't find why his wife divorced him. Right, and that note said we. Maybe it was like things in his head, yeah. like telling oh, yeah. him, you know. Could be. Well, why did he take those two pregnant women out? and tie them to a tree and rape them and leave them for dead. Like, he was not right in the head. And I right. feel like sometimes there are murderers that he just needed, murder he with no He needed those glasses he could not see. <laughs> right. God. <laughs> well, and that's, I mean, that was left at the crime scene, which Michelle did wear glasses, but they never said those were Michelle. They said they were women's glasses. Right. right. And I remember that being a huge, I mean, that was just big. Like, he was just stealing glasses left and right. And he stole one of the camp counselors gla- or, or the sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. The right. camp when they had rummage, were stolen, and that that heavily links him to the case too, yes. because that is like an mo for him is taking glasses. Yeah. Well, and it it was from when the counselor's tent was broken into, mm-hmm. which was prior. Yes, that was in April. So, so he, w- he was there. Yeah, they believe they suspect. Well, I'd like to tell you that I'm really disappointed that that camp was closed down because I think camp is important and it's a really good thing, but. 
you know, it sounds to me like that it really wasn't that great of a camp. No. Right, and I don't think the layout was very responsible. Yeah, you don't have a back entrance, especially with no. eight to ten-year-old girls. Exactly. In there. And the back entrance in the whole camp, right right behind a back entrance to each individual tent. Like, right. no, mm-hmm. that's not. Well, <laughs> it's a different time. There's, yeah, well, that's true. It mm-hmm. is a, yeah, back in the 70s, that's a whole different time. Well, and it seemed like it gave me... Ozzy <laughs> <laughs> wants love. Come here, buddy. <laughs> Come here, buddy. The, it was definitely the same kind of setup from 1928. Right. When the camp was started, like how they had all the tents and stuff. Like, it was very obvious. They never updated anything. So, yeah. I. Well, I mean, did... I mean, you said early on that the girls were getting to go because of the sale of cookies. So, you know, it wasn't like the family. Some of them. Some of them earned it. Some of them paid. Okay, so there was payment going in. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they're making money and there's really no need to update. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Ozzy thinks it's interesting. It's a tough case, Ozzy. We know. (laughs) Do you have anything you want to say? No, I just really hate this case, and I, I hate, hate hearing about it, and I hate that that guy never got convicted. Well, which, again, yeah, it is one of those things. It's kind of like the, the making of a murderer, where it's like you want him to be the guy so bad, but the cop is so vindictive that you mm-hmm. can't you can't trust it. And even if he is the guy, you, you almost think he's not just because of the tunnel vision of the police. Yeah. It sucks. Jeremy, yes? Are you laughing at <laughs> I'm laughing at Ozzy. Sorry. Oh, look at that puppy. Oh, don't show Ozzy. He's going to bark at him. <laughs> so before we wrap things up, I would like to give a shout out to the other members of the Golden Mojo Network of Podcasts. Golden Image Podcasts, The Call Guys, and the United States of Paranormal. So, Jeremy, you want to drop in a little promo? Oh, you know what? Uh, Golden Image Podcast. we are the guys who go out into the world and have adventures so that you'll want to go out and have adventures. We want to show you places that we think are cool. They go out so you can. Yep. <laughs> so you, you change it every week. <laughs> she changes it every week, but at least you're getting them out there. That's better. <laughs> um, let's see. We just released the uh, Bar 13 episode. Mm-hmm. So if you get a chance, go check that out. My and buddy Combat Jared. Ops. Yeah, and the Combat Ops. Uh, yeah. We've had a lot of good response with, um, with those. So Nice. Uh, if you need a little pick-me-up after a super deep episode like this one, Head on over to The Call Guys. The Call Guys is hosted by Gunner and Colton. Gun and Colt Fortify. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the guns are out. The guns are bang, out. Bang, bang. Bang, uh, The Call Guys discuss movies, TV shows, anything else pop culture. And we determined when we are going to have this crossover yes. episode. Yes, we finally. finally have done it, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to be so cool. So keep your ears open That's and right. your eyes Peeled. Open. Peel. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you just need a little creep factor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, if you need some creepiness. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get caught up. I'm behind on literally every single one. Even ours, I haven't listened. Ashley sucks. She doesn't I support suck. the network. <laughs> Jeremy and I help host a paranormal show called the United States of Paranormal. And... We host this along with our Texas partners, Logan, Matt, and Bose, and we go on a road trip across America telling tales of haunting cryptids and weird places from each state. We're everywhere. We're all over the America. And if you listen to my Waverly Hills episode, it's amazing. It's so good. Ooh. 
Jeremy killed it. Links and social media for all of these podcasts can be found within our show notes and on our social media pages. So go support our small podcast network. The more support, the more we go, the better the content. Do you have anything you want to tell us? I'm still waiting for an email about somebody's dad fucking their girlfriend. Haven't heard it yet. I know. I'm waiting patiently. Yeah. Patiently. Um, Do you have a case that you'd like us to research for a future episode? We're doing the whole United States, guys. We're doing them. We're doing all the We're United doing States. all of them. We listened, and we appreciate that, honestly. I do, anyway. Yeah. It's just real. It's just a lot of research when there's no... When there's no... Information. Facts. Yeah. yeah. It sucks. So we're doing the whole big, wide country. The United States of America. This is... I really hope yeah. this is a weekly thing, because... You, oh, me being <laughs> you are so <laughs> funny. Anyway, if you have something that you want us to look into, you can contact us at our email, which is murdnerds at gmail.com. Or you can even search murdnerds on all popular social media pages. You can. All you of them. can do that. All of them. We got them all. That's right. If you would rather be anonymous with your opinions, located in our bios on all of our social media platforms is a Linktree account that you can click and you can find right at the top. There's a survey. So it's anonymous. It's just like, hey, I want to be anonymous and tell you my thoughts. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Try it. It's been kind of desolate. It's a ghost town. I'm the only one, I think, that does that. on uh, Post anonymous stuff on the link tree all the time. Oh, do you? I haven't even gotten any emails. I know. I've never it. done that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't been on there in a while. So, so uh, yeah. While you're on our social media pages, you can find photos. You can find... Newspaper article. You can find all kinds of stuff on the social media. I just we just grab pictures that correlate with what we're talking about. Yep. Right on. And I mean, we post, um, you know, upcoming stuff like we've announced yeah. this on social media. I think last week or the week before. I mean, it just keeps you updated. Keeps you mm-hmm. in the happenings. Also, hey, we have a new shirt design. Mm-hmm. That's limited edition for the Camp Murderers. So yes. go buy that. It's only for a small amount of time, and then when we get famous. And you guys have the limited edition, the first limited edition t-shirt. Right, right. Everybody's going to be jealous. You can probably sell that thing on eBay for like... Like $17. That's less than what we're selling it for. (laughs) $70. So it's really an investment on your part. You should probably do it. Don't we will, we'll autograph oh. it if you happen to see us on the street. If you see yeah. me running at you with a with a sharpie in my hand, oh, yeah. it's not murder. <laughs> it's an autograph. We'll sign the shit out of that shirt. <laughs> so much shit shirt signing. <laughs> Don't forget to describe. <laughs> I'm not signing it with shit. It's shit a marker. Shirt signing. Don't forget to subscribe to us anywhere that you enjoy listening to podcasts. If you're an Apple Podcast or Spotify listener please fucking rate and review us. We yeah, really need seriously. it. <laughs> and you can do the thing, like uh, what I do with like My Favorite Murder and Tusop and um, all of our other ones on here. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I can say all of them, but you already said them all. All the other so ones. I, you follow, and then you hit the little bell, and then every time we post a new episode, it'll just send you a notification. So yeah, you know when so you, you can know. listen. And that is free. It's so it's free. So free. It's so rate, it couldn't review, be any more free. Subscribe. It's free. Mm-hmm. This, and this is the best. Can you imagine the best thing? And it's free. The best. This is the best way to support us, and it's fucking free. Imagine the best way to support anybody. Free tacos. Free. Imagine getting tacos and they're free. That's like fucking everybody wins. <laughs> I love Armando's tacos. <laughs> Are they here today? No. Damn it! <laughs> I wanted to try them. So just. 
please. I want a sponsorship from Armando's Tacos. Yes, same. <laughs> Sponsor us, Armando's. Some tacos, please. Seriously. Um, yeah, this is the best and easiest way to support us here at Murder Nerds. Um, and this helps us get ads. This helps us. If you noticed, our ad is gone, and that's because we ran out. Like you, we only we sign ran on. out. <laughs> we ran out of ad. <laughs> we ran out of ad. No, it, it, you only get a, like a time frame yeah. to have the ads. So we need more ads. It helps us get up in the charts. I'm ready to chart. <laughs> <laughs> we want to chart in Germany again. I I think our Germany listener name is uh, Sarah. I know or a uh, Germany listener. Really? Yeah, her name's Sarah. What up, Sarah? How what? do you know this? I know. Oh, that's fucking um, cool. Hi, actually, Sarah. Nina yeah. knows. Nina knows her. And oh, that's how we know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, there's the couple. There's like ten. There might be more. Ten I don't whole think it, it German give listeners. us like a Hi, whole Germans. number, does it? I know Jennifer. She's from Germany. And she listens. She listens. Jennifer. What up, Jennifer? What up, Jennifer? Is that real? No. <laughs> oh my god! Well, you know what? If your but name's maybe. Jennifer and you're from Germany, fucking hi. hi. <laughs> Give us a shout out. Let us know on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. We got them She's all. Not I, real. I if she is, she may be. I think that's important. I think that we need our listeners to, you know, communicate. Listen. With us. Commun- yeah. Well, we need them to listen. We know they're listening. Yeah, We'd love talk for you to, to us. We have yeah. no friends. No. We're just sitting out here at the we campground. Well, we have a couple. We just met one today. It you was, have it was Laura, and she was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, she was lovely. <laughs> but yeah, email us. Uh, subscribe. We want to talk review, to you. Do all those My things. My butt hurts. I know. Sitting on this wooden chair. And also, we're not waiting on you guys anymore. We're buying our own chair. So thanks for nothing. Well, I was on just going to say. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you would like to help support the podcast monetarily so we don't have to, you can. So we don't. You can pledge a monthly donation of $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99. That's less or equal or more than a cup of coffee. <laughs> one, Bobby two, love on three. that one. This helps us with equipment and merch and licensing. 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 And anything else. Licensing. Got to get rid of these lice. Yep. And anything else that we could need to make murderers possible. Ashley is so tired of getting black stuff all over her face. She needs a new chair, please. It's the lice. <laughs> it's, that's the licensing. We need to get rid of the licensing. This is not a money-making venture for us. We do this because we want to. And it takes a lot of time and energy in the process. Jeremy knows this way too well. And so does Bobby, his wife. <laughs> <laughs> We use our own money to fund everything. Mostly Jeremy's money. <laughs> by our money, we mean his money. By our money, we mean Jeremy's money. And by Jeremy's money, we mean Bobby's money. <laughs> so thank you, Bobby, Thanks, Bobby, for supporting the podcast. <laughs> we love you. We love Bobby on this podcast. So, uh, ooh, my voice did a thing. And, um, yeah, so the small amount that we have been making off ad re- revenue, which is gone now, is going right back into the studio to make it bigger and better for our listeners. So if you can, show your support by pledging a donation each month or even purchase some pretty awesome fucking merch because I put a lot of work into that, drawing it with my hands, nothing else, and I don't, nobody wants to buy it. Um, what is? What am I doing wrong? We've sold some merch. We have sold some merch, but we haven't in a while. So what am I doing wrong? Do you guys need another promo? We'll drop oh. one with the fucking camp shirt. Yep. What up? Right. That I'm drawing with my hands. 
Not her toes. Maybe not you should draw it with your toes. <gasps> Made it more that, artistic. Oh, that sounds like a kinky thing. I don't want to do that. Oh yeah. You know what though? Kink sell shirts. Also, hey. <laughs> you know what? I'm just gonna say it. If that's what anybody's into, and they need murder nerd. Merge for foot, foot, merch. <laughs> foot merch. Ashley and I will sell foot pics for. Why are you bringing me into this? Sorry, it's okay. Your ring's so pretty. Thank <laughs> you. Oh, my hair's stuck. Anyway, merd nerd, merd feet. <laughs> Just let us know, please. How about those toes? <laughs> They're killer. Oh my god. Okay, stop all your. These head. feet are to <laughs> die for. <laughs> They're not. I. But anyway, um, so yeah, we have our merd merch, merd shirts <laughs> shop. Please located within our social media pages. Does anybody have anything else? Nope, you I covered can't. it quite I well. Think you, Thanks, you guys. Did really well. I just killing it every week. <laughs> Until next week, stay safe out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.